0: Time for breakfast. Trauma for breakfast is a crowded table of wounded children, parents, spouses, caregivers, and weary souls. Together, we join in honest conversations about the behaviors and challenges of parenting and working with children who have experienced trauma. There's always room for one more at the table to share in the stories, science, and healing as we learn to better understand and care for each other. We are a table without shame or judgment because life can be hard and lonely, and we all know that breakfast is the most important meal of the day. I'm Stacy. I'm a mother of seven children and have fostered for over 13 years. As an RN and former public school teacher, I quickly realized this type of parenting was not taught in a textbook or class. Let's learn together to parent different, not harder. Welcome to Trauma for Breakfast. Welcome, welcome everyone to Trauma for Breakfast. I am your host, Stacey Gagnon, and I am excited about having Amy Music on today. Now that is not maybe a name you've heard of before unless you live in her community, but Amy has a story to tell. And I am just hoping that as you listen in, that some of the things that she says really resonate with you and you really take just some wisdom from her of just the life she's lived and the experiences that she's had I'm just going to open up and I'm going to say welcome, Amy. And Amy, just give us a tiny bit of background about yourself, not your full story yet, just just who you are.
1: Yes. So my name is Amy Music, and I grew up here in Indiana. I've been here pretty well my whole life. I have two children, and I am married, and my children go to the elementary here in town across from my house, and that's pretty much it. So a
0: very exciting midwest town experience is what you're telling me.
1: <laughs> yes, super super exciting here.
0: <laughs> well, Amy, let's just just roll out and and I would love for you just tell everyone like your story. How how you ended up on Trauma for Breakfast podcast. Let us know who you are and tell us your story.
1: So, about 5 years ago in 2017, I was married living in a in the same town actually and addicted to drugs meth and heroin we had a dcs case that opened because of it dcs came into our lives and took both of my children out of our home and the police came in and assured me and at the time my husband off to the county jail and that began a very long process of i would have never expected any anything that was coming i i that day i sat in the jail i thought my life was over and all my dreams were over and i would never see my children again and that did not happen the first 4 months after i lost them were just terrifying, terrible. Everything fell apart. We lost our marriage. We lost our house. We just totally were in destruction. So I moved into a little apartment in Wabash. My dad owned at the time and he let me live there. And I tried to work and tried to do all the things DCS tells you to do. And I was driving to work one day And I remember just throwing my hands up in the air and saying, I give up, I just get, I give up. And I drove with my knee and I just had my hands up. I was just yelling and I took my cigarettes and threw them out the window. It was very dramatic (laughs) and I just gave up that life. And at first when you do that, everything is so dramatic all the time because you're going from utter darkness to the light. And so I became a believer and my whole life is so different that I almost don't recognize my old life. Like it's almost like it didn't happen, but I remember it. The memories don't leave you just right. the being able to relate to it leaves you. And just sort of for those of you that
0: don't know, when she's talking about DCS, it's Department of Child Services. Can you tell me in those moments, like, was it just an unexpected thing, a knock at the door? Give me your perspective as, a, as I guess we, we would call it, you a biological parent at mm-hmm. the time um, because I worked in the role of fostering. So I, I always imagine what that
1: looked like from your perspective. Yeah. Can you just unpack that for us? Sure. So at the time, my daughter, she was 10 months old and my son was three. And basically what had happened was that we, my husband and I, were disillusioned and We personally called for help because we knew we were in like this really not pleasant situation. So we called and asked for help from the police. And for some reason, I had this idea that they were just going to come in and be like, oh, it's okay. Let's get some help. And that was not so much the case. It was more like detectives were there. DCS caseworker was there and it became a criminal thing. So it went from me thinking that they were going to help, which ultimately they helped, right? But like, it didn't feel like help at first. So they basically just picked up my daughter and my son and took them out of our house and then told me that I would have to put handcuffs on and get into the police car.
0: Must have been terrifying. (laughs) It was so scary. And as a mother, I can't even imagine... Once you were sitting in the jail, like every emotion and every heartache that night must have just been
1: overwhelming. It was very overwhelming.
0: Once you were, how, how long were you um, incarcerated for before they released you?
1: So I only stayed in the jail for, I think it was like less than eight hours because we bonded out
0: and what can you let everyone know what does working a plan with dcs look like in order to have your children return home because i think sometimes people think that it's not a lot of work but i also know it's an over it's an overwhelming amount of work
1: it is so crazy and they don't really like lay it out like so i am now it's funny now i'm on a board of directors for dcs in indianapolis I've been on it for three years and I get to give my feedback. So I do feel really good about DCS now, but at the time, not so much, but they don't lay it out very well for you. They just kind of keep adding things. So it's not like you see the snapshot at the beginning. You have to have a job, which is very hard with all the other things they ask you to do. So you need a job, you need an apartment or a house. You have to attend classes. Oh, my goodness. I want to say some people, it is it is literally four days a week. I think I might have been at that three to four days a week. Um, so you need a way to get to class. And then you do have to go to court very often. And then you also have to do team meetings pretty often. So you're doing classes, team meetings, court, have a job on top of all of that and have a stable living situation in a car then for some people that's quite impossible
0: and you were also probably dropping UAs at the time and following through on all that
1: oh and drug screens yes you have to call into DCS every single day to see if you have a drug screen I forgot that one so sometimes you'd have to show up there and do they would do like a little mouth swab every every week
0: so one of the things I want everyone to really truly hear and what Amy is saying, I, I want you to imagine that you have struggled and, and living pretty dysfunctionally because you of addiction, right? And once your children are removed, suddenly the amount of work and what has to happen would even be hard for someone who is functioning. When I look at the fe- like Amy, or I look at biological parents who are really, really trying to work a plan. I think it's really important that we see how incredibly difficult it is because that not only was Amy doing all of those things, but she told us earlier that she was dealing with a substance use disorder with meth and heroin. And so she was also probably going through withdrawals and coming off of how many years had you been using Amy?
1: So I had used before my daughter was born for about two years and then after she was born. So she was 10 months. So it was 10 months of meth and heroin. Can you tell me how you were able to stay clean um, in the
0: midst of all of that overwhelming stress and the demands from DCS at the time? And again, I'm not I'm not I'm gonna defend DCS as well because these are things that we, we want children to be safe. So
1: So to stay clean, I did not at first. I think that's the funny thing is that people um, say, well, if she wanted her kids back, she would just stay clean. And it's, it it is not that simple because at that time, that is what, you know, to numb yourself and you're in like the most excruciating pain of your whole entire life. So that is just what, you know, at the time. And then the only way it was, I want to say four months is when I started to actually take it seriously because I surrendered my life. That was the answer. I just surrendered my life over to Christ and I I was just done with it. And there was a little scare in there of my children being adopted out. I don't know if that was legitimate, but someone along the lines had said that, and that did scare me. So I think it was it was between being afraid and surrendering my life. Wow. When you look back, what advice do you have
0: for other moms in your situation?
1: For me, I would say to create rhythms for yourself, like do the same thing every day to the best of your ability. For me, it sounds so ridiculous, but this is what I did every day. Once I got past the drugs, I would wake up put my hair in a bun, put on my combat boots, like those black tie up boots. And I was like a soldier to get through the day. And I would just march my way through the day. And I would say, okay, if I could just get through and then get to my bed tonight without making any bad decisions, that's a win. So I did that every day. I don't know why that worked for me. But and then when a bad opportunity comes up, Because they do. I mean, like Satan is, he is there constantly just tempting you. Just every time you have a bad idea or opportunity, turn from it instantly. Don't even give it a second thought. I had to do that so much. The last one would be to have a goal in mind and don't settle until you get to it.
0: You you were mentioning when we talked earlier about just living amongst the triggers. When we talk about substance use disorder and about returning to the same environment where you are using, that is incredibly hard. But at the same time, it's not like everyone has that privilege or choice to be able to say, well, I'm not going to return to the same environment. Well, you had to, your kids are, your family's here. Your children are here. It's not like financially you were going to go move to another spot. So how in your combat boots, Amy,
1: (laughs) did you do that every day? It was not easy because the opportunities I mean, I don't know why gas stations are an issue. But it's like, every time I would stop at a gas station, I would see like a drug dealer that I knew or something. But you can't get away from it. You need gas or it, it was constant. They would be everywhere people from my old life. And I think the love of my children just became bigger than that. And I just set my mind on on them. And I, I had a goal and I was not going to settle for anything until I got to that.
0: You know, one of the things that you said is about setting a rhythm in your life is really incredibly important when you're dealing with the brain that's had adversity or trauma or is dealing with substance use disorder. And that is that routine. And that we call it that groundhog day of making every day the same, because that helps calm your brain to be able to get through the day. And I I think it's, it's really amazing that Amy, you stumbled on that during your hardest struggles. What do you wish that someone had done or understood about your situation? Looking back, whether it was when everything first went down or even partway through what, what do you wish that people had done or understood?
1: Looking back. When I first made that first phone call, I guess I wish that they would have actually offered help instead of turning it into a criminal case. I wish they would have said, you called me and I'm here and we have this rehab and we'll, you know hang on to your children until you get out and then you and your husband can have, like, I wish it would have been more of a help instead of they turned it instantly into you're now a criminal, you're going to jail, you have a bunch of court cases coming up, you become like a monster instead of feeling like supported. And also through the entire process, there is no support for you. There's no CASA worker. There's nothing on your side. So you're fighting this alone. I wish someone would have been an advocate for me.
0: I so appreciate you saying that. And, and your story, I think, is so important because what Amy had happen is that she was self-reporting, I need help. My kids are not safe. Things are not okay. And instead of receiving help, And in some ways, like, I think you're right, Amy, you received help in the end, right? But instead of that, it became a more of a punitive process instead of a, wow, there is a rehab center. There's, you know, a place that we can send you to help. And. When we look at mothers, especially in the system, I think it's really important to understand it. There becomes this point where it's almost like either get well with your kids in your home or we take your kids away so you can get well. It feels so foreign because then we're not only causing trauma to a mother, but we're causing trauma to children. Your story is really important to highlight how we best support women, especially moms in recovery. And so when you look at that, Amy, what supports When your children did come home, what supports did you need that might've made a difference even, and I know your children are still with you. So, but what are some things you wish you had been able to say? Because, and I I specifically want to hear from you about how they came home on a Saturday and, and you had to become a mom by
1: Monday. Yeah, that was very, very traumatizing. They had lived in four foster homes and then, DCS has this little way of trying to reconnect you. They do their best, I believe, but it's like you get to see them for two hours a week, which is not enough. So two hours a week at a facility in a little room and then they- And
0: they're watching you and they're taking
1: notes, yeah. right? Which oh, is- don't even remind
0: me. <laughs> don't need to trigger you. I just, I think it's important people understand how yeah. hard this is on for uh-huh. on your side of things.
1: They use like- like mean tactics to like scare you while they're watching you they'll be like you can't say that if you say that again you will not see your children again like they use tactics like that it's really really hard so you're already like on guard while you're wa- you're, you're visiting your children eventually dcs will let you take them out like to a restaurant it's it's a kind of a it makes sense it's a slow process and then all of a sudden they drop them off on your doorstep, and you are expected to just be normal (laughs) from then on out. And they leave and you don't hear from your caseworker again. So that was extremely traumatizing because my kids had a rhythm where they were living and they had support and they had a schedule and everything was running very smooth. And they sent them home to me who I was a waitress and I had a really crummy apartment and no idea what I was doing. So you can imagine that's not go well. And my son my daughter, she's very easygoing, but my son is not so much. He really needs he thrives in rhythms and so it it just did not go well whatsoever for the first about two years. It was very difficult. And I would have needed support, yeah, from anyone any type of agency or someone that could have came into my home and just checked on us or helped in any practical way I guess even having like I think I was telling you Stacy like a phone call someone that I could have called that was outside of the situation that could have kind of walked me through, okay, my son is over here having a meltdown. What do you suggest I do? Or could you come over so I could step outside? Anything like that would have been amazing.
0: You know, what's interesting listening to you talk. So, so much of what um, my line of work is, and even like when we talk about this podcast, we're, we're really talking about educating, you know, foster and adopt families and educating teachers and professionals on how to better handle kids that have been through early adversity, but yet we're not extending some of that programming out to the folks like Amy, who are going to then be parenting children who have trauma, but also Amy herself had some trauma experiences too, as a child. And so it's like this perpetuation, but we are failing at times, I think to continue that education and support where even as a foster parent, I can look at children that came through my home and it isn't, normal parenting because the situation's not normal and these Perfect. kids are hurting and being able to equip a parent like Amy or to equip those who are, are reunifying with their kids, I think needs to be a, a shift in, or a, a lens change of, of how we view supports because mm-hmm. supports aren't just these, um, materialistic things. Support needs to be that education and that piece of like Amy said of a, a hotline number or, or someone to call a mentor or someone to say this, I don't know what's going on and I need help because sure. we parent how we were parented, but we also, we, we need a village. Right. And, and even for myself as a mom, there are so many times I would call my own mother and be like, is this normal? And, and she would laugh and say, yeah. And so I think that what you said is, is really hugely important. So you said four different foster homes, what span of time? 9 months that is a lot of moves yes it was it was a lot can i ask why there were four moves in 9 months
1: there were so many different situations the first home was someone who is in my family but they took on something they didn't know they were taking on because my son is not the typical like child and he had a lot of anger. So I think that that was an issue. So they had sent them to someone on Torin. Torn is their dad, on his side. And that person was not able to keep them more than a month. So it was just like, situations where people couldn't keep them for long
0: which is so incredibly difficult for, for children, right? They, they need that consistency. And one of the things I want to make sure is we do not villainize DCS in, in this podcast case managers and the system as a whole, it is an incredibly difficult job and it's a broken system through no one's fault other than it's it's not, it's just a hard system. And so I want to make sure that no one out there thinks DCS is bad or these things. I mean, they are doing the best they can with the funding that they have and the help that they have. And so can you tell me, was there one person specifically, or is there someone that you can look back on and that helped that was there for you that did something you were like, this was so incredibly helpful to me?
1: Yeah, I have two kind of examples. So the last two homes that my children were in were full functioning families, and both of those families um, ended up being very supportive for me. Uh, The first one was the third family that my children lived with, and they were so supportive after, so this had been after I got the kids back that I went back to them and said, you know, thank you for having my children. I was not very thankful at the time. So I I did. I went back to talk to them and they offered me a safe place to be myself and say what I thought and felt without judgment. And I really felt like I could take my mask off before I walked through their front door because a lot of times you're just masking all day, every day. And they gave me a, a house to come to that I could just take it off, walk in, and just be myself. And they have three children who have like no idea the impact that they've had on my children. So Liam and Jojo's dad has passed away. He died this summer. And they were there within the hour to be by my children's side. And I cry every time because it's pretty fresh. So he just passed. So um, they were there at the funeral and the burial. It was really special. I'm so sorry. And what an incredible
0: loss for your kids as well.
1: Sorry. Right. And then the second family that helped was the fourth family my children lived with. And they basically taught me what, what it meant to be a Christian which I've since learned there's lots of ways to be a Christian, but they showed me their specific way and they taught me what it means to go to a church and be involved with pastors and Bible studies. And they introduced me to what the word gospel meant, which I had no idea. Her name's Melissa, the the wife. She became sort of a spiritual leader and taught me a lot about how God works and how he loves us and how he has a redeeming side to him. She walked me through all of those very important biblical truths. So that was also very, very helpful. And she is the gift of children, which not everyone does. She she does. So she taught me a lot about why. Um, My son probably acts the way he does and she's a preschool teacher. So she was very educated in child behavior. So that was also like an, like a gift from God an unexpected support that I got. When you look at looking
0: at the foster experience and, and just talking from the perspective of a biological parent, what do you like, what are two pieces of advice you would give to a family who's fostering? in yeah. dealing with, cause there's a lot of fear. I mean, oh, yeah. uh, you know, that when we first started fostering my, my biggest fear in fostering was, oh my gosh, the, these are bio parents and they might hate me and hurt me and hurt me. You know, I mean, there's just a lot of fear around that.
1: Yeah. Well, what I learned from that is when you fear them, they fear you <laughs> because they feed off of that or we fed off of that. So For example, my children's dad, he was what people considered scary. And one of the the family that was the, the first family I described, they had this approach with him that was very humble. They were so humble and just able to relate to him and not feed off of his scary, I guess, and it did something to him. He was able to talk to that man and I'm trying to word it. So when you're in that situation, you become what people tell you that you are. Mm -hmm. So the judges are telling you you're a criminal. The DCS are telling you you're a criminal. You're, You're then becoming that thing that people are telling you that you are. When someone doesn't do that and just looks at you like you're a human and treats you like a human, it does something different to you. And you're like able to open up and, you know, there's a verse that says the kindness of the Lord brings people to repentance. And I really believe that because you often become who people tell you that you are. That's what I've learned.
0: I I love how you said that, you know, and one of the things that I learned i had been fostering a while and um, i ended up having a baby who was casted from the waist down because she had been thrown against a wall and mm. her leg shattered and i um in her hip and it was devastating to me i remember talking with the, the biological mother and it really just flipped the script for me in understanding um that that place and and where she was at and and It had been the father that had hurt the baby, but the woman had lived in some pretty horrific circumstances. And I, I I remember some of the words that she said to me about just her whole life wanting to be a good mother and she wasn't a good mother and all the things you said, Amy, and believing that she was not even worthy of being loved by anybody. Mm -hmm. So it changed how I started dealing and working with the biological parents, especially the moms, because I have a heart for biological moms. And I started every time they would go on a visit, I would send a new picture, I would get photos or professional photos done. My friend was a photographer, and I would send pictures. And I would then also send like, Hi, mommy, like a note from the baby today, you know, this week, these are the things I'm doing. I miss you. I love you. Um, Please put my picture up on your mirror and and think about me each day until I see you again. And I I think that when you think about those things, like just that idea that seemed very simple for me to do, I -hmm. think probably was impacting in the sense that I wasn't against her. I was on her team and on her side. And I think that when, as foster parents, that's, what's really important in what Amy's telling us is that we do not need to be one more stick to punish or criminalize someone. We need to be the safe space for their children and let them have the ability to recover and be a cheerleader on the side and hoping that they're able to recover and rehab and become well. I appreciate you saying that because I think it's so incredibly true. And just so you know, the, the little girl did go home with her mom. I saw them years later. She was looked amazing. She was remarried cuz the dad had gone to prison for what he had done. And she just was like my whole life changed through that experience and I look back and I'm like see those are the things where I'm like that baby needed to be with her mother. Wow. And that mother needed to know she was worthy. And so I I want to end actually I want to ask this question. What what Amy what's one thing you wish you could tell your 15-year-old self?
1: Well, I would definitely tell myself the gospel and explain Forgiveness and sin, and the love of the Savior, and then I would definitely teach myself about trauma and what I had just went through, was going through, and what would come of the trauma, or what what could be prevented, because I had no idea.
0: <laughs> so you had experienced a lot of early adversity.
1: Yes, and
0: I'm sure. Like, and this is just I've always believed that drugs are a way to medicate internal pain. Yes. And so what is one thing that you learned as you've learned about trauma and its influence on your path?
1: I have, because I'm in the thick of parenting, that's where I've applied most of it. And I've, I've learned that you really do need basically a different way to think about parenting. When you have grown up in trauma, you cannot compare yourself to people who haven't, which I spent a lot of time doing, comparing myself to other people at church or wondering why I couldn't just get it together. Why couldn't I just snap out of it? Why, 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 why? And going through the conference, I was just literally mind blown the entire two days that this is why it like became full circle for me. And I don't, I don't know why it took 29 years. I'm 29 to learn all of these things, but I sure am glad that I am educated now because it all makes sense as to why. And I,
0: um, Amy went to a trauma conference, the lost barrels trauma conference that we put on. And, and it's, it it is always amazing. And this is what I'm talking about from earlier, the education we have around trauma informed and understanding how adversity alters the brain and all those things. These need to be things that we are providing as a whole, not just to people who work with people with adversity, but people who have lived it. Right. and and, you know when we're talking about the um, biological parents who are struggling or we're talking about our inmate population these are people that need access to this education and also the supports as well because when we recognize that it's not that there's something wrong with you but that something happened to you then we're able to start healing from that if we don't recognize that then what we end up doing is we end up just stomping it down and pressing it down and never never dealing with that inner wound and so let's just end with this last question As a woman and a mother, what advice would you like to share with other women and mothers?
1: Well, I would say we are all not that different. I think we all need each other instead of being against each other. I clean houses for a living right now because it's been what has been convenient through what we've been walking through and being in, I specifically clean houses for mothers. So I get to be in a lot of different environments and we are really all not that different. Like, it's just funny to me to think that we all kind of feel like we have to compete with one another and- be the best of the best instead of, I think in other countries, it's more common. I've heard to be less independent and lean on each other more. And I just feel like in this country, we are all so independent and trying to be like comparing. And I don't know, I just wish it was different. I guess we need each other rather than against each other. And also I would like to build a bridge. I don't know. I don't even know how I feel like maybe I already have in some ways, but I would love to build a bridge from people of my old life to my new life. And for those moms to not be afraid of each other. Um, I think when you grew up a certain way, it just seems so scary to go and hang out with someone that maybe grew up different than you. And I remember when I got saved, that was one of my big missions was to break that down. And I've sat in homes of people I never thought I would ever encounter. I mean, like my pastor's wife, for instance, I spent two and a half years with her in her home and it was uncomfortable, of course, because I came from way different life than her, but I thought, no, someone has to break this down. So I've just, I've tried to do that as well.
0: I love that. And I I love what you're saying about women as a whole, just being vulnerable and authentic with other people and letting people help. I think we live in, in a society where, like you said, where it's not okay to need help and Holy cow, parenting and womanhood and all those things are hard. (laughs) And so, I mean, just being a woman is hard. So I I appreciate that you said that. And I am so grateful that you were on this podcast today, Amy. I feel like you've been such a voice of, of wisdom in having walked hard things, but I'm also just so incredibly proud of you as a fellow woman in this journey that you've been on to overcome the struggles and to fight for your babies and to fight for your life. And I'm just, I'm I'm honored to know you as a person. So thank you. you. And thank you for joining us on Trauma for Breakfast today. And I hope that you were encouraged and also learned some some wisdom from Amy and just, just the walk that she's been through. We're so thankful that you all shared in today's conversation. We are always here and ready to set one more place at the table. Thanks for joining us on Trauma for Breakfast. Trauma for Breakfast is brought to you and supported by Matt Force, working together to reduce substance abuse, and Yavapai County Community Health Services, working
1: toward healthier communities.